this is going to turn Jeff into the Joker pretty soon. This was my Joker origin story. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, folks, welcome to Lights Out Mass, a podcast about government transparency or the lack thereof in Massachusetts. I'm Andrew Comer here with my co-host, Jeff Raymond. How's it going? We're recording on September 11th, 2023. And today we are going to be talking all about pinball, right, Jeff? Pinball is my favorite. My favorite pinball machine was at Hampton Beach. It was a World Cup 1992 branded one with that stupid <laughs> dog they had. But I'm telling you that that was a beautiful, beautiful pinball machine. No, we're not talking about pinball today. I did go to Pintastic, the New England Pinball Expo over the weekend, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, maybe check it out next year if that's your sort of thing. But today, Jeff, we are going to be talking about the post commission the peace officer standards and training commission of massachusetts right that is correct it, um i've been in my own sort of pinball hell with these folks for the last four or five months so i'm excited <laughs> to talk about it yeah back and forth right <laughs> yep yep and and i'm just about tilted but we're we're almost there <laughs> that's enough so... pinball pins for the for the afternoon i think but <laughs> we'll see <laughs> So we are recording this on September 11th, 2023. The Post Commission's latest drop of information was their disciplinary database, which is going to be the baseline of our conversation today. But that got launched, I believe, the final week of August. So it's been out about two weeks now as of today. So what is that, Jeff? And why are we here talking about it? (laughs) Why do we care? We care because it's the first time the state has ever put together a public-facing record of disciplinary investigations of police officers. Um, When the Post Commission was established in 2020 as part of the um, omnibus police reform bill, part of the Post Commission's charter was to collect all of this information so the public could see what officers had investigations going on, what departments had a higher number of investigations and complaints than other departments. The outcomes of those investigations within the departments to make sure they weren't above or below the mean. And this has been a long time coming. They promised this is one of the early things that we were going to get to see. Yeah, at one point it was at one point it was scheduled to be released in May of last year, and it's taken uh, what a year and a half plus now. Uh, Fourteen or... months, but who? Fourteen months, but who's counting? We were very excited when they were about to launch it because they said it was literally days away. They were doing some last minute data validation or whatever. And then that became a few weeks. That became soon. And then in, I believe, November or December, they released some information saying that they were scrapping everything they had done up to that point. And we're going to do a new resubmission process for 2023. So the result that we have that came out a couple of weeks ago is the culmination of that effort. And it's very scaled back compared to what we were seeing before. It doesn't have every officer listed. Of the officers it does list, it only lists situations where the allegations were sustained or if there were some punishments involved in it. Yeah, and so hold on, we should just clarify the terminology. Uh, the yes. term, <laughs> in, in police internal affairs investigations, the term sustained means 
that they found enough evidence to support the allegation. So this is a department finding that the officer did whatever they were alleged to have done, basically. And we should be clear also that these are internal investigations. So these were done by the police department employing the officer. And that's part of the issue that I had going into this when they had announced the change in the beginning of the year. There's no statewide standard as to what constitutes a sustained or unsustained allegation. Each department runs their own internal affairs. (laughs) And so one chief might look at some evidence and say, yeah, that guy was wrong. It is a sustained allegation. Another chief could look at the same set of evidence and say, yeah, we're not, we're going to say that's unfounded or we're going to say that's not sustained. So we lose that sort of context as to how the departments are operating, how the complaints are being fielded, how the, the departments are investigating them. None of that yeah. information is there anymore. Yeah. So what, what, what you're saying, Jeff, is that this database, the public facing one, the one that we get to see as members of the public, it only has the cases where the police departments found that their own officers had done something wrong. Meanwhile, if an officer had a complaint and the police department said that the officer didn't do anything wrong or that they couldn't find enough evidence one way or the other, that information is not available to the public, at least in this database. And so it's it's creating this huge black hole where uh, you could have an officer, for example. I mean, this is part of the problem is that these most of these complaints do not get sustained. So you could have an officer who, for example, had like, I don't know, 20 complaints or something, which would be fairly you know unusual and really high number. But then if none of them are sustained, then nobody knows that that officer might be a problem just because this, it's been determined by the post commission that only the sustained complaints should be in the database. It's Schrodinger's officer. The officer is both guilty and not guilty until we open the box and find out, you know? But, you know, you said something about, like, if there's an officer with 20 allegations, there's one officer who was recently indicted for his behavior as a police officer in Duxbury, who was responsible for half of Duxbury's entire complaint log of the last 10 years. Uh, Stephen Amato had 14 complaints, um, and only six of them were considered sustained allegations. And it should be noted that I don't believe any of them are currently in the post database right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to and, and add to that. Another another uh, glaring case is this Springfield police officer, Greg Bigda. This story has been uh, covered really thoroughly by MassLive, uh, the Western Massachusetts newspaper. But there was also just an article in the Boston Globe about him. And he's been basically on leave from the department since I think around 2018 because of this investigation that resulted in him going on trial uh, for basically using excessive force on these teenagers and uh, making like really serious over-the-top physical threats of violence uh, and Didn't he plant- threaten to kill? planting planting <laughs> evidence and even killing one of them uh, on video in, during an, an interrogation. But the the Globe reported that he had 
31 complaints, almost half involving physical force, and only three of those are listed in the post database. So less than 10% of the complaints are actually in the post database. And they were saying in, in the Globe report that if you looked at this officer, like just in the, the database and compared him to other officers, it would he would not stand out in any way. But this is someone with 31 complaints. He was named in at least eight lawsuits that have cost the city nearly a million dollars in the payouts. And judges in three separate criminal cases where he provided testimony concluded that he uh, provided false testimony. So this is a really like uh, even in Springfield, which was under uh, Department of Justice investigation and is now under a consent decree with the Department of Justice for a pattern of violating people's civil rights, even in that like outlier department he's an outlier officer but if you just look at the post information he just looks like you know any other guy he's got you know working there for a couple decades he's got a few complaints it, it and but in reality he's like just really far out there it's it's almost as if he's like one of the worst and springfield can't get rid of him yeah and... that was the gist of this story <laughs> is that they they want to fire this officer but they are uh feeling like i don't know that it's really really true that they can't fire him but they are making they're basically they're the city is arguing that if they try to fire him he's just going to be reinstated by an arbiter because of like his police union contract gives him uh it makes it so difficult to fire him but he uh they're what they're hoping is that the post commission is going to take away his police certification which will essentially you know let them get rid of him without having to go through any of this this process but even the even the the decertification of an officer is its own process so there it's really difficult to get rid of these officers and it, it's funny because something like Greg Big though unless you were really in touch with the sort of policing news that was going on this is not an individual that most people would know this wasn't you know, this didn't get picked up by the Boston Globe because it was something significant. It got picked up by the Boston Globe because he's got a number of complaints that are not showing up in this database. And they might have picked up on this two weeks ago had the database shown everything it was supposed to. If there's anything I've learned about working through Springfield on these records, because I fought them tooth and nail for these records, is that you know, the guy who's responsible for pulling together all the records really likes to do things by the book and is very lawyerly about it. So my question would be, had I known this a while ago, what was it about Greg Bigda's records in Springfield that didn't warrant getting included onto this list? It's very bizarre, the things that Post chose to publish and chose not to publish. Post is blaming the departments for not sending complete information but having compared the two i've done so to give some background i've done public records requests to every municipality in massachusetts for the records they sent in 2022 and the updated ones in 2023 with a few exceptions i have everything post received post got all 31 of these complaints from big though post has them either that or i'm being sent stuff that isn't accurate <laughs> and granted it could go either way given how this has been going but you know it, it's i had an opportunity to speak with enrique zanega who's the director of post the executive director 
And he essentially pinned it right on the departments. He was saying, you know, we ran into some issues with what was reported because we're reporting what the departments give us. But there seems to be a disconnect between what the departments gave them and what they consider publishable. I don't know. It's an open question as of today. Yeah, I mean, there was an article in the Lowell Sun where they had interviewed some police chiefs and the police chiefs, some of them, they were complaining about the accuracy of this database. And one of the main complaints was actually that there were omissions, that there were things that they had sent that were not included. And it's sort of unclear why that's the case. But then on the other hand, to go back to Springfield, they are complaining that Post like included all of these entries and their complaint was not that they were inaccurate it's that they thought that they should be should not be included because the officers they were not punished for the misconduct they were put through like retraining you know they had to go through more training and they were saying that more than i think 220 of 417 complaints they wanted removed so they wanted more than half of these complaints removed and remember, we're already removing most of the complaints because we're only including the sustained complaints. So these police are saying that we only want a fraction of a fraction of complaints in here. And they're really trying to like hide, you know, this information. They really don't want this getting out. This has been such an illuminating situation for me this year, working on these, working on trying to get these records, I should say. Because yeah, we should just say real quick, Jeff has been yeah. doing like he's been engaged in a Herculean, you know, efforts. More uh, Sisyphusian, maybe. I feel maybe. like the ro- <laughs> the the rock just keeps coming down the hill. But so so yeah, so some background for folks who are new to the podcast or aren't familiar with what I'm doing because you know Andrew's work. I um sent out, as I said earlier, public records request to each and every town in the state because Post was not doing it. At this point in time, when I did this in April, there was no indication that this database was even going to happen. So I said, well, let's go to the source. They've already done the work. They've already sent them out. The records are there. Let's get them. So I spent, oh boy, probably about five hours just copy pasting email addresses into into things, finding, finding email addresses, doing the whole thing. And then I started getting the, the denials. I was not surprised by getting denials. What I was surprised was getting the same denial word for word 150 times. (laughs) The Massachusetts Chiefs of Police Organization, uh, MACOPA, they, um, one of the officers, I believe either from Groveland or from Dudley, reached out to them, reached out to their legal, reached out to their legal counsel and said, hey, how can I deny these records? (laughs) And the guy at Bokova said, well, they're probably public, but if you wanted to try, here's some language for you. Put a nice typo in the middle so I could find it, so I could do a copy search for it in my email. And 150 denials later, I had, uh, you know, the same thing over and over. Yeah, so, I mean, it's one thing. It's one thing to get the same language over and over again. You start getting suspicious. But when it's literally got the same typo in every single one, you know, it's just copy. They didn't even try. Yeah. They didn't even try, you know. So if you're unfamiliar with the process of appealing public records requests in Massachusetts, it's it's a process to put it to put it mildly. Um, for as helpful as the state public records division can be, there are a lot of things they do to make it very difficult to appeal something, especially when you have multiple appeals in the same 
area. So I reached out to the public records division before I started doing the appeals. And I said, hey, listen, I am going to be sending you the same appeal at least 150 times. It's going to it's going to kill your inbox. Is there a way I can do it all as a bulk thing saying these are all the departments that are giving me this language? It's not okay. How can we fix it? And they got back to me and said, we need to open a case for every single one. So there I go, creating a new appeal for appeal for each and every town <laughs> that denied me records. I believe, you know, the 150 was just for the Macopa alone. I think I narrowed it down to 225 of the 350 towns had given me an initial denial. And unfortunately, that means that I had to do 250, 225 rather, individual appeals for each and every one of these towns, most of which said the exact same thing. <laughs> it was a chore. I believe that it took me about 10 to 15 minutes to do each one when it came out to making sure that I had the correct names in place and, you know, pulling together all the documents because you have to PDF the emails and pull all the docs together. So, you know, I mean, I think I spent many a weekend afternoon with a baseball game on and just copy pasting a bunch of appeals. <laughs> and it was, um, it was something else. And there were some days that I was sending 20 appeals out a day. And I don't know if like they have a target on my back at the uh, dartboard over at the public records division now or what, but I looked it up this morning and I am up to 325 total appeals on this project alone. <laughs> We've all been there, Jeff. At least everyone on this podcast has been there. <laughs> <laughs> spamming him with like a gazillion appeals. 100% of the podcast hosts here have done yes. more than 300 but, <laughs> appeals. Yeah, we, so we should just clarify though, the, the reason you're, we're seeking these records directly from the police departments is because we were aware back then that the, when this database was published, they were not going to include the full volume of complaints. They had scaled it back at, by that point and were only going to include the sustained stuff. So this is sort of an effort to make sure we're able to get the full picture. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, Jeff, you were going to these police departments directly because the post commission itself was not willing to release this information. And in fact, I I made my own records request directly to the post commission trying to get all of it at, together at once. And I had trouble with uh, the post commission. What they did was they asked me to narrow my request. And I just said, like, no, because that would, you know, that would defeat the whole point. You know, the point is to get all the information, not just to get some sliver of it that they want me to see. That's the whole uh, purpose. So I said no. And then they said, OK, well, we're going to deny your request. And they said that they cited this deliberative process exemption that Jeff and I have spoken with. It's like a exemption for certain policymaking documents. But it, it just because something is part of a policymaking process doesn't automatically make it eligible for this exemption. The exemption specifically exempts factual reports. So I, I'm not a lawyer, but at least in my estimation, it, it, it says reasonably completed factual reports. So I'm not a lawyer, but at least in my estimation, if a police department sends you a spreadsheet and says, this is all our complaints, that's factual information. And it's, you know, maybe it's not 100% complete, but it's at least reasonably complete. So I don't think that's a good excuse. They were also saying some of this information would reveal criminal records, which I don't think is a valid 
legal explanation. They were also claiming some of it were like open investigations. I, given the cursory information that you get from these entries, I don't think there was anything in there that could have harmed an investigation. But anyway, I appealed this and the supervisor of records, that's the person who runs the public records division and signs off on all of the appeals. They said that they talked to the post commission and found out that, oh, actually all these records are tied up in litigation right now. But the thing is, the litigation, this is something I think you experienced too, Jeff, that we might get into a little bit more once I wrap up this. But this litigation had nothing to do with these post commission records. It was about this uh, like lawsuit by a police union where they were arguing this questionnaire that the post commission was asking officers to fill out as part of the certification process had like these questions that were inappropriate for one reason or another. I think some of them were too vague, things of that nature, but it had nothing to do with, with whether these were public records or not. So Jeff was encountering this, uh, which I'll let him talk about a little bit more in a minute, but at some point Jeff was able, I don't know if Jeff convinced them or whatever, the supervisor records started telling Jeff, oh, actually we've realized these aren't related to ongoing litigation, so they can be released. And so I I told the, uh, the supervisor of records office, I said, hey, can you reconsider my, my decision here? Because these are the same kind of records and they shouldn't be related to this litigation. And the supervisor said, oh, yeah, you're right. These aren't related to the ongoing litigation. And all of the reasons that you gave for rejecting his records request are bogus. And so at that point, actually, let me jump back and say that I made it very clear in my appeal that part of the reason I was seeking these records was because they would contain information that wasn't included in the database. Because in addition to um, citing all these exemptions, the um, post commission said that basically it would be impractical for them to turn over all these records because they are working on this database. And what I need to do was just wait for the database and then I'd have all the information I wanted. So I obviously said in my appeal, that's not true. They're only going to put some tiny percentage of the complaints in here and I want to see all of them. So in any case, after the supervisor sides with me and says, you haven't provided a legitimate reason for denying this request, they turn around and they say to me, we're going to ask you to narrow your request to just the information we posted on our website. So obviously I wrote back and I said, no, I'm not going to narrow my request at all. And also I'm not going to, I'm not, not only am I not going to narrow my request to what's on your website, I I'm going to tell you proactively that I'm not going to agree to any future suggestions to narrow this request. I want you to produce all the records. Uh, and that's the only thing that will satisfy my request. And so I have been waiting uh, for a response to that. And if I don't hear back soon, I'm going to have to file another appeal, unfortunately. But uh, I think, Jeff, you do have most of the information already, but I think it's also important that the Post Commission accepts as a matter of precedent that these are public records and they can't just, you know, hide them. But why don't you talk a little bit more about that lawsuit? Because that's something you had a problem with too. Yeah. And this is, this 
kind of speaks to how Post is really dropping the ball on this whole thing. Because at its core, it was meant to be a transparency vehicle for individuals of this state, citizens of the state, residents of the state, to better understand how policing works in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And by delaying these things, by changing the the statuses, by, you know, just kind of, in a lot of ways, they're flailing in the wind a little bit. It's created a lot of these openings for these lawsuits and for these public records denials. So the lawsuit um, Andrew's talking about is... um, it's actually a consolidation of two suits. One through an officer, uh, I believe his name is Scott Hubsapien. I apologize to him if he somehow hears this um, for mispronouncing his name. I'm sure that's the least thing he cares about a Bimbley right now, but he is the president of MassCop, which is one of the major police unions in the state. Um, a second police union, the um, North, the New England Benevolent Police Association, I think, NEBPA, will go with that. They also sued, and they sued over the Post Commission's other mandate, which is to engage in a certification process of all officers in the state. Post immediately farmed out the certification questions to the chiefs of police. And they said, we're not going to talk to all the officers individually. You guys do that for us. Here's a list of questions. You come back with a yes or no, and we'll run with it from there. The unions hated that for any number of reasons. But one of the lawsuits was for the entire questionnaire. But the other lawsuit and what it was eventually consolidated down into involved questions regarding membership in organizations that may have been discriminatory or have you ever used a racial slur on social media? Those are the questions that the police union was like, we don't want to answer this. And hmm. Hmm, yeah, to be fair to their position, that does introduce some interesting First Amendment problems that, you know, I love the First Amendment just as much as anybody else does. And I kind of get it. But that is not a great look. <laughs> to be like that question you're asking me about whether or not I'm a racist you can't ask that <laughs> yeah I don't want to answer that actually so because this questionnaire exists and because these lawsuits exist about the questionnaire all these towns started saying well that lawsuit is gonna impact how the questionnaire goes and it's probably gonna have some impact on this database too so we're gonna say no until those lawsuits are settled out makes no sense i was starting to get these back and i'm like that doesn't make any sense i look at the actual ruling not only is the um is the case itself which is still in play but there was an injunction order put in place not only is it very clear that it is about four questions on this 12 question questionnaire but the justice at the end even makes a note saying that even these questionnaires are probably public record and they would probably lose on the merits (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I just want to stop for one second to say, isn't it funny that the Post Commission was saying they couldn't release these spreadsheets to me because of this ongoing litigation, which is still ongoing, and yet they released their database, which is the same information, just less of it. So why that doesn't make any sense? Like it's just it makes seems no sense. like it seems like bad faith, to be honest. It's arbitrary, is what it yeah. is. It's absolutely arbitrary, and so my appeals 
Now, granted, they were also citing Exemption C, which was changed in the 2020 as part exemption. of the, the privacy exemption, which shall not apply, quote unquote, to these police disciplinary records. But I would keep going back to the state and saying, listen, this lawsuit has nothing to do with, with these records. I am asking for something completely different. And you need to actually investigate these situations and take a look at what this is actually saying instead of taking them at face value. So once I did the appeal and, you know, the state got back with the, the state saying, you know, they didn't use the level of specificity that they needed to in order to deny me the records because they were just denying them wholesale. They're like, you know, if there are certain records that do it, you need to say that. At that point, most of them caved. But then a number of them kept coming back with it. So this is where Andrew was hinting at earlier, where I went back to the state again. And I said, listen, you guys need to you guys need to settle this out because I'm going to keep sending you these requests until you until you either come up with a very firm solution or give me my records. <laughs> and it got to the point where I asked for a reconsideration. They delayed it. They delayed a response on the reconsideration for like six weeks and then came back with a letter from Post saying that the lawsuit, in fact, had nothing to do with these records. And the holdout departments have had to follow up with that ever since. It's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, this is the kind of pushback you get. And I want to speaking of the pushback, I want to make a point that I think is important that people should understand, which is if you go back to 2003. So this is literally two decades ago, 20 years there was a decision when the Telegram and Gazette uh, in Worcester, the newspaper and daily newspaper in Worcester, they sued the police department, which was arguing that the internal affairs records, the, the we're not talking here about like a database, we're talking about the actual records related to the investigation. So like any like reports, including the final report that has like the outcome of the investigation, the, the department was arguing that that was all protected as a personnel record of the officer um, in the way that like an employee evaluation of like a teacher or something like that would be. And the the appeals court said, no, this is something very different than that. This is about people, you know, with, you know, badges and guns who have the power to arrest people. It's about whether they are doing that in a, you know, law abiding and, you know, manner. And basically they said that it is necessary for these records to be released so that the public can have faith that the police will hold themselves accountable, which I don't know that that is actually what happens when these records are made available, that people have can have faith in the police. But that was what the, the court said anyway. But in any case, my point here is that this was 20 years ago. This was long before this 2020 police reform law that established the post commission was passed by the legislature. So what we're sort of seeing right now is the police establishment, if you will, is seeing this law as an opportunity in a sense. They're saying, okay, well, hold on. This is supposed to create more transparency, but what if we use it as this sort of reset where we can actually we, we might have a certain things like we're going to have to deal with the fact that this post database is out there. But what if we can use it to roll back the existing transparency in some in some way? And they they want it so that non-sustained complaints will be private, basically. But that was not 
what the court found in this 20 year old case in that case it actually dealt with an officer whose complaint was not sustained so we we should just be clear here that not only are we witnessing sort of stonewalling and uh, of this current attempts to make more transparency we're actually seeing an effort to sort of scale back existing transparency and it's interesting too that you bring up the telegram gazette case because a lot of the departments that continued to fight me on this after the initial request were citing that very case as supporting their position that it didn't need to be released because the, I guess, and I am not a lawyer, what you would call the dicta of the explanation said that personnel records were private. But it goes on to say, as Andrew put it, that police officers are different. They have a very specific level of trust in the in the in, in the community. And thus you need to be able to access those. But time and time again, these departments would, would say, you know, oh, Worcester Telegram Gazette versus, you know, whatever. And it was so interesting to see them try to weaponize a case that was not about that did not support them. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I had a few, I shouldn't say a few, I had one lawyer at one law firm outright say that they felt like the reform law codified, quote unquote, the ruling of 2003. That the the 2020 change to the public records reform law was done specifically to codify their interpretation of what that case meant, which it's, it, you know, we used the term gaslighting with Martha Healy last week, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's gaslighting. It's absolutely gaslighting. Two I weeks would ago, quote I think, back, right? No, three yeah, weeks ago. However many weeks ago. It's, time has no meaning. Yes. Um, time is a flat circle, as Matthew McGonaghy put it. But um, <laughs> it's it's just fascinating to watch these departments, you know, try. You talk about putting faith in the officers. You put, talk about putting faith in the library, in the, in the, um, Putting, putting your faith in these institutions through transparency. And I kept telling a lot of these departments, you understand that by being this instringent about it, that you are in fact making this a bigger story than it needs to be. If you all just sent me the records, then I'd put them up on a Google Drive and I'd probably be off doing something else now. But now I'm like, now I want every one of these out here. I want to build my own database. I want to... <laughs> You know, I really want to get this rolling because this is, this is, this is insane. It's insane. I say that a lot, but it's insane. Yeah, I know. And we should say, so for, to give people some perspective on like how much information is left out of the post database, they published data about 3,413 complaints from 273 law enforcement agencies and so there are 170, I'm sorry, 167 departments that have reported no sustained complaints, which right there is pretty suspicious. Like, how can you have, a, I realize some departments are very small, but even so, the idea that just you have officers who've been working, you know, for a long time, they're not going to have even like one minor complaint. But I should just say, Regarding the fact there were 3,400 or so uh, com sustained complaints, I 
got spreadsheets, which I think Jeff also has from the Boston Police Department and the Massachusetts State Police, which are the two largest departments in the state. And if you include all the non-sustained complaints, they each have about like 3000 complaints, I think. So, you know, that shows you just the level of information that's being left out. If if for the entire state, you only have like a little bit more than you would have from one of those large departments. So, okay. So there are 273 institutions that have, have, have an entry on this, in this database. And there are more than 400 departments that are reportable to post that are that are governed by post for lack of a better term so we're not even seeing like a super majority of these organizations even complying let alone showing any complaints and it's you know i went to a small college in paxton massachusetts anna maria college when i was there it was um we had 250 undergrads to give you a sense of how small this college was and the running joke was that there are never nothing ever goes on at Anna Maria College because you know they would just handle everything in house and not report anything into anywhere because you didn't want to get caught up in whatever law it was at the time and you know they just handled everything on the down low and i think about that all the time when i think about these colleges that have to report out the post and probably didn't put anything in or don't have complete records because it's so easy in an insular college community to do that sort of thing. Then you have these small towns, like you said, like the town of Gill only has four officers, but they fought me so hard. <laughs> and I don't know why, because they didn't have anything of note of substance to, to block. Like it was just like, they felt like they needed to push back to push back. You know, it's very, it's very baffling and, and, and Post has woven such a delicate web of craziness with this thing that it's just hard to keep track of where they're at, where we're at, where we need to go, what we were promised. <laughs> like that's the part that still kills me. It's what we were promised. We were promised a database where you could look up the cop's name and find out if the officer has had any complaints and you yeah. can't do that. And, and I think just to reiterate the point I made before, I think what's so concerning about this is the whole issue with police accountability is that police departments police themselves and they often, well, they often don't police themselves. You know, they don't hold officers accountable. You you see it constantly when there's some officer who's in the news for some like horrendous criminal act or something like that, or, or some really serious lawsuit. They often have a history of complaints that were not sustained. And it's important one for the public to know to know about these officers it's important for journalists to know about them so they can start looking into those officers and finding out what the deal is and you would also think that the post commission given that its whole idea the whole idea behind the post commission is to provide outside accountability to these police uh, departments you'd think they would want to know that there are officers who, you know, are getting all these complaints, but none of them are sustained because part of the post commission's job is to investigate complaints when appropriate, independently from the police department. And they should have some way of determining when there might be a problem officer who they need to sort of initiate a, a, a investigation of. Yeah. And to, to give some credit to post, I had asked director Zaniga 
directly about the lack of transparency in the unsustained, in the unfounded, um, in that area, because I had, I cited statute right at him, <laughs> where the idea was that we could see, you know, if there were more coming from one department than another to, to balance it out against the mean, this whole thing. And he said that that is future functionality for the post commission, that they wanted to get this database out first, but they want to give us an overview. They want to give us a high level of those complaints. So say, you know, say the city of Worcester, we'll get to see the individual complaints for officers with sustained records. But they will say to us, of these sustained records, they also had 200 total complaints, of which X number were sustained. And, you know, they're going to be inviting people to do data analysis and shred it up and stuff like that. But, you know, it doesn't give us quite the amount of information that we were hoping for. Because at the end of the day, I go back to Amato, uh, Stephen Amato out in Duxbury, who had 14 of the 28 complaints in the town. The media initially reported his indictment for, for witness intimidation and falsifying a police report. And all they did was report him out as a 24-year veteran of the force. And that felt like it buried the lead for me a little bit. Because when I saw his name, the first thing I did was I hopped over to see what Duxbury's record said. And that's when I found out that this guy was a serial offender <laughs> and was making the rest of the Duxbury police literally look bad. And you would think that people would want to lead with that. You would think that the Post Commission would want the public to know that. Yeah. And I mean, I guess one other point we should make is that this database does not include like the actual records of the officers. It's basically yeah. just very, very cursory information to some extent. It, 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 they're often the information it includes is often like just comically vague. So like th there's only one officer who the post commission has decertified, meaning they permanently taken away his ability to work in law enforcement. He was John Donnelly, an ex Woburn cop. And he, uh, I guess, was involved in the so-called Unite the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. This was a white supremacist rally uh, where an activist was murdered, uh, not by the officer, just to be clear, but by someone who attended it. But the officer was involved in this white supremacist activity, and he ended up leaving the department, and the post commission took away his certification. And... The entries in his, the post commission's database. This was caught by the um, by Mass Live. It, it only says quote other misconduct and quote conduct unbecoming. So that doesn't tell you anything. And it says go, the Mass Live goes on to say the same description is used for six of the seven other complaints the Woburn Police Department submitted to Post. So that is like really th this database is really it barely adds, you know, any transparency. It's really sort of a jumping off point where if you're a journalist or someone, you can you can use this to start investigating things, but it really tells you very little on its own. And so I, when I requested everything from Woburn, uh, Woburn actually sent me more than what I requested because they sent me pretty much everything they had on Donnelly because I think they assumed that that's what I was reaching out for. I didn't know Donnelly was part of this. I realized now that I think he was even pretty high up in the in the hierarchy of of things. Like I want to say at one point he was Richard Spencer's 
like security detail or something with baked Alaska or I don't know any of these clowns, but um, <laughs> losers. What was fascinating? <laughs> they're not sending their best. Um, <laughs> I feel like you know I'm speculating a little bit here. They definitely didn't want this to be the 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 highlight of John Donnelly in their department. You don't want you know high level racist who travels across state lines to be racist to be the poster child of your department. But they also sent records about his um, he you know substance use disorder is not a joking matter, but police officers who like to flex their muscle and abuse steroids probably need to be mocked a little bit and this guy was eventually put on leave not because he went to racist unite the right rally but because he was abusing steroids and he resigned before he got fired so they don't even show that like you know they post is asking for information on people who resigned to avoid um, suspension or 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 punishment but you start connecting these dots by having all the information in front of you and you know there's no reason why mass live would have it because they haven't asked for it and they can just see what's on the table they got a great reporter who's on the post beat over there now will catcher who's doing great work and doing the doing the legwork to kind of get the information that other media outlets aren't getting right now but you know, this is one of those situations where if you think of Donnelly, you're only going to know him through this Unite the Right thing and not the way that the department appears to, without talking to them, this is me just speculating, appeals to be trying to bury that part of it underneath a different allegation. Yeah, and I want to just quickly get to two other limitations of this post database, which is that the post commission after they you know, initially got this high, high volume of data and they decided to scale it back, they said that they don't want information on people who have retired or resigned in good standing. So this, I guess, weeded out so many entries that they went from 12,000 sustained complaints to 3,400. And that just doesn't really make any sense because like you, if someone still works for the police department, then they're, I guess, in theory, in good standing for the most part. So why would you, just because they retire, like it doesn't, you would leave them out. It doesn't really make any sense. And it also, it, it creates a problem where they wanted, they wanted uh, complaints where people were resigning to avoid being found responsible for something. But if, if you, if you make this distinction between resigning in good standing and resigning while you're not in good standing, it, it sort of leaves it up to the interpretation of each individual police department and allows them to kind of, you know, decide whether this information gets reported or not. And then the other thing I wanted to point out was that the database does include information about officers who where they were charged with a, a criminal offense. However, the information about this is blacked out. And as I mentioned earlier, the Post Commission is claiming that these are quarry criminal offender record information. And there is a law that restricts access to quarry, but I, I think it's being misapplied in this case. It, this is, it, it's, it's really ridiculous because you can go to the court and get the records about these officers. So like, there's nothing stopping you from seeing an officer's name in the database and dropping by the courthouse and grabbing the records, which is what some of these journalists like 
Will Ketcher are doing, but the post commission is making the lives of journalists that much more difficult, making it much harder to get that information to the public. And credit to the public records division on this specific note, because I had a lot of departments saying they wanted to redact or sending me redacted records, citing the Cory statute. And the state has come back time and time again saying that these are not Cory records, that Cory records are a very specific type of record. And in fact, this is true because Cory requires, hey, another database requires people to make a database that lists all of the criminal activity and criminal information. And I am not pulling, you know, these post records are not from that database. These post records are simply, what is the names of the officer? What did they, what are they accused of doing? Was it sustained? That's it. You can't keep that secret and the state is not standing for it, which is great. Yeah. I mean, again, when we get, when we remember how cursory the explanations are in these entries, it's just completely absurd that they would say that it's like invading someone's privacy by publishing their criminal record like it's we should at least be allowed to know what charges are filed against someone whether they're a police officer or not you know like that's just the courts should be public they shouldn't have like secret criminal proceedings whether it's to the whether it's you know to help someone out or or to make lives difficult for anyone it's just we shouldn't do that and it's so and this makes me really cynical this is the part that really bothered me when they would cite this because a lot of these departments would come out and say that if we were to publish this Corey information or this, you know, exemption F investigatory stuff, it'll keep people from reporting incidents in the future. As if telling people that there are actually complaints and that they can actually go to the department and issue a complaint would actually create a chilling effect in the community and reduce the likelihood of people reporting bad cops. It's, it boggles my mind well, that anybody know, would go ahead. You know, Jeff, I think if they if they published the full database with all the complaints that aren't sustained, maybe it would discourage people because they would see how few complaints actually get sustained. <laughs> but I think that if <laughs> if if they had a good process where they actually seriously investigated things and could show, you know, that they did their work, maybe it would, uh, you know, have the opposite effect and encourage people to file complaints, but you know, it remains to be seen, I guess, because they won't give us that full database. Yeah. And I will say that I did ask Director Zuniga about that, the discrepancy that there is no statewide definition of sustained, no real standardization of how those investigations are going to come. And he outright said that he views it as a charter of post that they create some regulations that will kind of standardize it statewide to make it so at least future investigations will be done in a consistent manner from municipality to municipality, from department to department. I am not confident at this point that this will happen either from the post side, although I understand that they're trying their best, but definitely not from the um, officer and police department side who have resisted this at every turn. Yeah, it's just the inherent problem of police policing themselves and i mean that's a discussion for another day but i don't think that we should be entrusting that to the police department i mean in theory that's the whole reason we have police right because we can't be trusted to police ourselves so why are we turning around and saying that the police can police themselves it just doesn't really make any sense but well they're heroes andrew they're heroes <laughs> and it's true you they're, know, they're they're above reproach 
seriously. <laughs> but like, oh, there's you know, I was saying to Jeff that we should maybe consider doing two episodes because there's so much we could say about this, but we've been going on for quite a while. So Jeff, how are we gonna wrap this one up? Yeah, well, I mean, we're close to an hour here. And I mean, you know, if you've been able to follow along with this, awesome. Kudos to you, Gold Star. You know, this is a whirlwind. Yeah. This post database is a whirlwind. And if you walk away from this podcast with knowing anything at all, it's that post isn't giving you everything that's out there and the departments don't want you to have it. Yeah. And you can take that information and do what you will with it. But that is the story. And that is the takeaway that I'm taking from this. This jaded me. This whole process has jaded me, has radicalized me in a way that I never anticipated. If you had told me six months ago that this is where I would be sitting talking about police departments and the post commission today in this police reform bill, I would have laughed you out of the room. But this is just, it's been a disgusting display of secrecy. And it's unfortunate that it's taken some dude sitting there watching a baseball game, shooting off request after request to get this information out to the public that the state post commission was supposed to do to begin with. Yeah, this is going to turn Jeff into the Joker pretty soon. This was my Joker origin story. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, but, you know, (laughs) police do not like transparency of the police. It's a tale as old as time, or at least as old as police have existed, which is not as old as a lot of people think. But in any case. (laughs) But that's a different conversation. That's true. That's a historical conversation. Maybe we'll get a guess for that someday. But in any case, I think we could probably wrap this one up. But uh, thanks for tuning in. I'm not sure what our next one's going to be about. We might have a guest or something on. But, you know, thanks for thanks for soldiering through this one with us. And if you are listening and you're, you know, keeping up with us and liking what you're hearing and you can think of something public records related or transparency related that you'd like us to cover, we are open to suggestions. And I am open to being an annoying person who sends a lot of public records requests out. So, you know, give us feedback. Lightsoutmass at gmail.com. And also, if you want to check out all this stuff that Jeff has been talking about, check his website, masstransparency.org. He's got a whole uh, sort of Google spreadsheet set up where you can check out a lot of this information. He's done like he's he's being modest he's done tremendous work on this like really like he he put in you're watching the mental breakdown you're watching the mental breakdown of a human being in real time on a google spreadsheet over the course of four months it's a beautiful disaster like jeff is doing the work that i would have done if i didn't think it was like just insane to do all that work (laughs) so thanks yes (laughs) oi all right All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, You can check out all of our episodes and have a good one. You've been listening to Lights Out Mass. I'm Andrew Comer. I write the Mass Dump newsletter. That's andrewqmr.substack.com. That's where you can find this podcast. You can also find us on Apple and Spotify. And I'm Jeff Brandon with the Mass Transparency Project and Bramonville Tribune, masstransparency.org, bramonvilletribune.com, or at Twitter, Jeff and Milbury. Our theme music is Sunbleach by Lifeformed. You can find more music at Bandcamp. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. <laughs>